Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Some People Call That Jesus. We'll be continuing in Worldly Pattern with Part 2, covering the rest of the information we have about the topic for this time. So if you want to know further about what we've talked about in terms of Worldly Pattern and what that means, you have to go back to Episode 1, which is kind of the introduction but lays a good framework and foundation for what we're talking about. And As we cover the rest of the information today, here's just a little outlook on the information we'll be covering so that you know piece by piece what we'll be going over. So here in Part 2, finishing the Worldly Pattern, we're looking at the agenda of the designer or Satan who's behind these lifestyles and patterns. What is his agenda? Really, what is he getting out of it? We're also looking at the process of the worldly pattern, seeing how exactly, according to scripture, do you get drawn in or sucked into these lifestyles and into these patterns to begin with? What's the enemy's approach and tactic? The Bible makes it clear. And then we'll be finishing with breaking the pattern. How do you get out of these patterns and into something new, which is obviously very important, not only learning about these things, but then how do you break that bad pattern, that bad lifestyle? Very important. We'll be covering that at the end as a summary. So looking into the designer's agenda, or what say, what benefit does Satan get out of bringing people into these lifestyles and into these patterns? Because it's not that he's just doing it for fun or for some frivolous reason or for some other approach just to bother people or something like that. He really has a particular agenda, the scripture says. And our first scripture we'll go to to help highlight this portion of what is his agenda in drawing people into the world, into the flesh, into sin, is in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. So again, that's Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14. And this is a unique piece of scripture that talks about the fall of Lucifer. Satan, when he was still an angel in heaven called Lucifer before his fall, this is what led to it. So it's speaking about Satan and what developed in him. What was his thought process? processes that caused him to rebel in heaven and ultimately become kicked out of heaven as we've talked in previous episodes. So Isaiah 14 verse 13 says this, for you have said in your heart, again speaking of Satan or Lucifer here, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So Satan, back in his rebellion when he was Lucifer in heaven, he had this desire to have dominion or control over creation. You see, he says, I wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to be like God, having that position. Says in here, he wanted his throne to be above the stars of God, meaning the angels of God. So he wanted dominion and control, and he wants dominion and control as well over earth and over the people here. So that's why back in Ephesians 2, which we talked about in the first episode, is that it says he is the spirit at work in those who are disobedient. So he desires control and influence within the people that get stuck in these patterns. It's been part of his fall, part of the pride that rose up in him, is that he wanted that dominion and control over angels, over creation, like the Most High. That agenda still continues. That's why he perpetuates that on the earth in order to have control and dominion over people. So... Isaiah 14, 13, and 14, continue to study that on your own for understanding. In Revelation chapter 12, it talks about him waging war in heaven and losing and being kicked out. And now he's in this process of battling humanity, particularly the church, trying to get that control, trying to get that dominion that Jesus won back for us on the cross. So that's his desire. And it's not just for a one-time, one-generation thing. The Bible also talks about in 1 Peter 1.18 that Christ had to redeem us from these empty ways of living, 
these empty lifestyles that had been handed down to us. And I'll just read that for you so we have that context in mind. 1 Peter 1.18, and it says this. It says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like gold and silver from the aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. Or I like to say the lifestyles or patterns that are passed down generationally. People teaching their kids, the kids teaching the grandkids, and so on and so forth. So not only does Satan desire dominion, control, and influence over getting people stuck in these patterns, but he wants it to continue generationally. He wants families to pass it down to each other so that dominion continues throughout generations, kind of minimizing his work in a way when people perpetuate it, but this can get stuck in cycles and then people for many decades and generations can be trapped in it. That's his desire, dominion, and over the expanse of many generations. So now going from there, just a snippet into his agenda, what he's truly getting out of it, not just doing it for fun, but actually having a tangible benefit he receives from getting people trapped in this. We now look at the process of the worldly pattern and exactly how it works and allures us in. And it goes back to the classic example in Genesis 3, Genesis 3, 1 through 7. And this talks about Eve, as in Adam and Eve, in the garden, talking with the serpent when man first sins, very famous story, of course, drawing a lot of examples and lessons out of it. But this, if you really really break it down in this context of understanding the pattern, you really see it reflected in here. Um, the devil has run out of a lot of tricks. You see how he's operated back in Genesis as the serpent still stays the same till today. And if you listen back into our episode um, a few episodes ago about imagination, you know that when you give up praise and thanksgiving of God, it lessens your imagination and your understanding exactly a process that the devil has gone through. So we can study what he did thousands of years ago by scripture and know that the tactics will be the same today. It's kind of like, I like to say he lost creativity. So he's predictable because the scripture is ahead of him. So we use scripture to help defense against it and to help understand how exactly do you get drawn in so you're not ignorant of the process. So in Genesis 3, 1 through 7, instead of reading verse by verse, you might already be familiar with it, but read it through We'll break it down some pieces and highlight some of the main phrases from it. But really how the worldly pattern begins to draw people in is it starts with an invitation. There's some kind of initial information or experience, something offered to grab your attention, to grab your curiosity. Like Eve walking past the tree in the garden and the serpent, which is the devil, initiating the conversation going, did God really say you could not eat of any tree in the garden? which was he was twisting the truth already to try to engage her in a conversation. Nonetheless, there is this initial acquaintance stage or an initial, uh, invitation stage, trying to draw her and get her to engage. And it worked. Eve engaged in the conversation and began to talk with the serpent. Happens now with these different lifestyles and patterns. There's something, especially through social media and all these sorts of technologies and things that bombard us every day, something tries to draw us in to get us to engage, to grab our curiosity or our interest. That's how it starts at the beginning. And the purpose is to get you to converse, to consider it, to, to let the thought remain in your mind for a bit. And so it goes from an um, invitation or acquaintance stage to the next stage where tries to, he tries to form some kind of link. He tried to form some kind of common ground with Eve so that he could operate further. And when he, what he did was that he fed her information that was contrary to the word of God, which she began to consider. Her mind began to mull over, and she eventually accepted. She accepted the idea, thought it was something good to do. This happened right before she acted upon it and ate the fruit. So this, sta this stage, or the second part, 
is really the stage of it. It starts with an invitation, and then the devil and the rebellious angels, what they do with this is that they always, they'll present the opportunity. You, you'll see in scripture, they'll actually give the opportunity, lay the stage for you to act upon it, because they want to help you get into the flesh, into sin, into this pattern. So they'll even provide something for you to take hold of, to partake in, etc. They try to form this cooperative link, but it comes from the information they feed you when you accept it as truth in your mind or you agree with it or consider it to be good, that's when you're ensnared because as soon as you accept it as something you might want to do in your mind, it's inevitable that you'll act upon it. So the initial invitation becomes the stage that it's all set for you. All you have to do is step onto it and begin to act. And that's what happened with Eve. She had accepted the serpent's mentality and now she finds herself standing before the tree holding the fruit, which goes to the third stage of this process of the worldly pattern, which is kind of a joining together. Or you move from thinking about it to acting upon it. Now you let yourself be open to control because she, taking the uh, serpent's ideas and thoughts, she ate of the fruit, which caused her to sin. The sin made her fallen, of course, her, and she gave it to Adam, and he did the same. Now, instead of just beginning to think like the serpent, taking in his thoughts and ideas, they began to act like him, they became sinful, they became fallen. Now there was this affiliation, almost like a joining together. They had a, a commonality that they were both fallen, man and the serpent, which was the devil. So it moves through these stages, and then once that happened, then they became ashamed, they became afraid, they saw that they were naked and began to make clothes for themselves, and then God comes to them. And an important question he asked, which gives us understanding here, is he said, who told you you were naked? Because they said to him, we, we've hid in the garden, we were naked and ashamed, that's why we made these clothes for ourselves. But you see that when he says, who told you you were naked, it was after they fell and partook of this and became like the devil in that respect, they became open to his control and his influence, which again is ultimately his agenda, to get you into this uh, decisions, behaviors, patterns, and, or, and then you're susceptible even further to the influence of his voice. And then they were, he said, that's why God was saying, who told you? that you were like this? Who told you that this was the issue? You've become subject to someone else's voice because of the decisions you made. That's exactly the idea and the agenda. Now there's influence over you and they begin to act accordingly. So that's a breakdown a bit in understanding of the process of the worldly pattern. There's the agenda, control, and there's uh, piece by piece. Again, there's an invitation. Then there's a stage to act upon what you've been fed in terms of information. And if you act upon it and take advantage of it, now you're open to control, stuck in the pattern, started the process, and it's kind of a downward spiral from there. So that's exactly how it engages people. And there's actually a spiritual principle that highlights here, a spiritual principle that, that makes human and, and spirit agree in a way. And it's found in Amos 3.3, and it says, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Meaning there must be some kind of agreement, common ground for people to walk together, to engage in something together. And that's what happens here. You're fed information or knowledge once you accept it as fact, as truth, as something good, you'll inevitably act upon it. And now there's agreement between you and Satan through this pattern, and you begin to go into this wrong lifestyle that's apart from the word of God. It's, it's want to break it down and keep it simple. Don't want it to get complex at all, because really it is straightforward. And then people are ensnared and it can be hard to get out of. So we move from that, now that we know all these pieces a bit of how it works, the agenda, how it grabs a hold of our transformation process in our mind that we talked about in the first episode, and begins to conform you to a certain standard, conform you to this information you've taken in. Now we go to the most important part, which is breaking the pattern. 
how do we do that? And there's some key verses in John chapter 8, right from Jesus, that we need to understand and know about breaking this worldly pattern. It's John chapter 8, and it's mainly the verses between 31 and 36. And verses 31 and 32 we'll read first. It says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Very famous verse and quote of Jesus. But knowing that it's this knowledge of the truth, it's the knowledge of Jesus and God's word that'll make us free, that'll break us of the bad pattern, of the bad information that we've been caught in. And if you see, if you go down further in that, in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. He lets us know that the relationship with sin is one with, of master and slave. He said, once you get stuck in these patterns and behaviors of the world, of the sin and of flesh, you'll be like slavery. You'll be a slave and master. You need someone or something to set you free. You can't just walk away in your own free will because you've become a slave. And he says, this is the power and the knowledge of the truth, of the knowledge of God's word, is that it can make you free. It can break that hold that the pattern has had upon you and set you free so you can go in a new and different direction. And here's really what is it, it is at the core. There, there's no neutral ground. Again, again, just highlighting from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, that we covered that there's, there's a process in your mind, that the information you think on transforms you and gets you to conform to something or gets you to conform according to that information itself. So it's important to know when there's no neutral, you're either conforming to one of the many patterns of the world that draw you away from God, or you're conforming to the pattern of Christ to become more like him. It's either one or the other. You're never hanging out in the middle, seeing which one it may be. You're going one direction or the other. It's important to know that so that we're very intentional with not only breaking the pattern with the word of God, but intentionally walking with Jesus and becoming more like him through his truth and through the Holy Spirit every day. Otherwise, we'll be going in the other direction. So key is knowledge of the truth. And what does this knowledge teach us? This knowledge teaches us that a key to breaking this pattern, to breaking a lifestyle contrary to God, is repentance. So if you're not a Christian, never accepted Jesus before, trapped in the world, still in sin, then you need to repent. You need to turn to God and ultimately hear his good news and accept him as the rescuer or savior of your life and as Lord of your life as well so that you can start this new life in him, be remade, be free from that pattern and that bondage of sin, of Satan that has held you in the past. So repentance. And for the Christian, it's actually the same. A Christian has already been born again, has that new life and that relationship with God, but a Christian can go back into sin in the flesh as well. So you're not accepting Jesus for your salvation again, but you might be in a pattern of the world and a pattern of sin that needs to be broken. It's still the same antidote. The word of God teaches you to repent, to ask for forgiveness. And then for both people, once you repent, ask for forgiveness, you're made right with God in the relationship, you then need to continue in the truth because it's that knowledge of the truth that made you free, as Jesus said. It is that knowledge that will also keep you free. Because again, Jesus said here, if you stay in my word, abide in it, live in it, you are my disciples indeed, meaning you're someone who follows him and learns from him and learns to be like him. So when you repent and God breaks that pattern, breaks all the sin and all the bondage in the spirit that holds you, you then have to continue in that truth and walk away from that into the pattern of Christ. So not only breaking it, but to maintain the direction and the lifestyle that God has planned for you and that he's instructed you to do through his word, you have to continually follow him 
to become more and more like Christ, which is a whole other topic of its own that we don't have time to get into to now, but that's, that's what it is. You want to maintain what he has made of you. He made you free, and he wants you to maintain that freedom in him. First uh, John 1 John 1.7 is a key verse to kind of really help that solidify that in our minds about what we're talking about here. And First John 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. You see, it's the blood of Jesus' sacrifice that takes away that sin, that breaks that hold of darkness upon us, and causes us and allows us to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. That verse and that section there in the beginning of 1 John, it also says that if we have darkness, then we can't be in the light walking with him. So he says, walk away from those things. Break that pattern through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus, and then follow him in the light, in that relationship, to go far away from that pattern that once ensnared you. This I wouldn't even say limit. This eliminates totally any influence or control that the devil can have over you because he needs you in that pattern and that lifestyle. He needs you giving into that invitation of information or something worldly or material to try to ensnare you. If you don't partake of that, if you're following Christ, he has no room in you. Like towards the end of Jesus's ministry, he told the disciples, the prince of this world is coming. And he's talking about the devil or Satan. And he says, but he has nothing in me. There was no room, no foothold, no ounce of room in Jesus that the devil could use to influence or control him, no matter what, no matter what he did externally. And it's the same for us. As we walk in the light, no darkness can come in there with us, because the blood of Jesus has allowed us in, cleansing us and ridding us of all sin, all chains, so that we can maintain that freedom in him. So I encourage you with this to listen to these episodes again. If there's something, especially because many Christians... You can have that relationship with God, but you can, it could be a particular sin. You could be stuck in it, fall into it, repent of it and be good, and then you fall back in. You come into this endless cycle of having to repent of the same thing, not knowing how to break that pattern. Begin to use this as the base or foundation of your study to understand the pattern you're getting trapped in and how to break free of it. And those who are listening that might not be a Christian or know this, these are why these habits and lifestyles and addictions and things like that can never be fully broken, can never be fully eliminated until someone comes to Jesus because the hold is still upon you. But in him, that's where that true freedom lies. That's where the true ability by the truth to break the freedom and to conform to a new pattern, Christ, because you're conforming to something one way or the other. Christ gives us the option to walk away from these things that ultimately destroy us. So I hope this has helped your understanding and, again, just building a foundation of what to study in terms of these worldly patterns and lifestyles that you see all around you. And I encourage you, for, for no benefit of me personally at all, but if you ever share these episodes with anyone else, just to spark their studying, just to help their faith and exploration of the Bible and their walk with Jesus, that's really the point of these episodes and these podcasts. No, no benefit for me other than sharing the truth of God's word, hopefully in that sparks a relationship or furthers a relationship that someone has with God. And like we have been doing and will continue here in this season two of Some People Call That Jesus, just ending with a prayer to solidify what we have been learning by his word. So Father, we thank you for the truth here about these worldly patterns, how to break them, and how to maintain the relationship with Jesus. Lead us in this path and how to do this continually so we can teach others and set them free as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for studying with me, and I look forward to doing it again very soon.